Thank you so much. Um, would that be okay if I take off my mask? Uh, I'll try to project my voice. So nice to meet all of you, and I'm so excited to be here and just such a good delight. Uh, I haven't been in any in-person meeting like this for a long time, so this is very special for me. And um, Latia is part of my chosen family here at KCMO. I might get emotional about it. Um, it's just really wonderful that God has brought us together, so I feel very, very proud that you successfully defended your Demian dissertation. It, <laughs> it's just so wonderful. Uh, so today I'm going to present on the topic of encountering God through beauty. Uh, I'm not going to turn this into a lecture, so I'll try to spare you of that. Um, I have been in Kansas City for about two years. Uh, so I moved here from Kentucky. And uh, before we get into the content of, my, uh, of our conversation, I'm going to say a few things of my gratitude. So first of all, thank you. Uh, Second Presbyterian Church, I often used your church parking lot when I went to meet with my friends at Aksua or with my students. So I appreciate it very much. Um, Yes, I'm the one with a yellow car. Uh, so another thing is uh, the open table. Uh, I have heard about this. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since I really wanted to be here. So this is a dream come true. Um, so in my own life, I have often practiced the open table. Um, so I'll say a few things about where I have hosted different people. I was a missionary in western part of China. Uh, so I worked with the Uyghur people, and also I worked with lots of the international community. So we just, you know, had a diversity of people from all over the world. Uh, so I've had 50 people in my tiny little apartment uh, and sharing watermelon together and doing English uh, class together many times. And uh, also I'm part Korean. I speak Korean as well. Uh, can you hear me okay? Maybe this will be better. Thank you so much. Uh, so lots of times I would actually uh, have people coming over. Okay, I think. Yeah, I gotcha. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Is that good? Great, perfect. Um, so lots of times I've actually invited people just, you know, to come and share food and music. Uh, and uh, so that has been a wonderful experience for me. And also, I'm showing you a picture of uh, my Kentucky home. Uh, I also <laughs> invited different friends to come over and share meals together regularly. Of course, that was all before the pandemic. Uh, I really have missed that very much. And I also want to say a few things about my own identity. I'm uh, part Asian, part European, and also my mother's side of the family has Blackfoot in their heritage. Uh, so hearing, Nick, you talking about uh, the acknowledgement of land, it's actually very meaningful to me. Uh, and also because I do, uh, I have been working with an indigenous community. It's actually the first uh, 
ATS, Accredited Theological Seminary, uh, you know, opened by indigenous theologians and also um, kind of aiming toward providing indigenous perspective for theological education is based in Canada. And I have students actually from all over the, uh, the place and we have um, partnership with, uh, with different seminaries in Australia uh, and also the US and Canada. Um, so I uh, also, I guess I do want to say a few things which really hit home for me. Uh, when I entered into this space, I immediately felt the warmth in this room uh, and also the music, the songs, the lyrics, I felt so connected. And uh, so whatever I'm going to say, uh, perhaps it's not going to be perceived as heresy, but we'll see. <laughs> so here's the big question. What does non-dualism have anything to do with beauty, our God? Uh, a few weeks ago, when Latia had invited me to come to this conversation, it felt like a different world. And then all of a sudden, uh, we hear about, I mean, just real life war. Um, I couldn't bear to actually follow the news because in my world, there's also lots of changes right now. So I found myself waking up at three o'clock in the morning on Thursday. I didn't know why. I just kept crying, and I was so shocked. Uh, I think my body knows, our body knows the suffering, um, the stress we actually take on. Even when we witness other people's trauma, it becomes part of our own suffering. Uh, so I prayed to God and I said, I'll just let go. Uh, I don't know why. I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning. It, it doesn't usually happen to me, but I just let my tears roll and I wanted to honor my body. I wanted to connect that, that sense of division between the body and also my soul. Um, so that was um, what I have been experiencing in the past few weeks. So, I'm thinking today I want to just, you know, bring all of those together to actually think about how the material world can embody the mystery and also the beauty of life that actually draws us closer to God, who is the great artist, the great mystery. Uh, so it may sound really kind of cheesy and even a little bit cheeky to talk about beauty uh, in the time of suffering and intense stress. But I think as we uh, really, you know, enfold the conversation, we'll see why we actually need beauty to survive. Uh, so I just want to share a tiny little thing with you. Uh, my father has been uh, following this Ukrainian woman who's a Christian, who has been posting her own story from her own perspective every single day and today they gathered at uh, this little house church in Ukraine, in Kiev, and they got together and they celebrated uh, 
and this is part of the Lenten season, and they start with the song, It Is Well With My Soul. I listened to it uh, in their own language. It was so deeply moving to me because I was thinking if I were in that situation, actually I have been some uh, intense, uh, you know, intense situations. I may not be able to share with all of you today, but there had been some traumatic situations I have been in. I often thought about, wow, there is nothing else I can hold on except there is this, that sliver of hope. Um, it just sometimes feels so distant, but I knew that no matter what happens, there is that tiny little hope that I could hold on to. Um, so, uh, coming to our topic, dualism. Uh, dualism, I googled the definition because I thought maybe we should, you know, sort out a few definitions. So, the beginning of the, uh, the conversation is going to be a little bit technical, but then toward the end, uh, we'll have some conversations. Uh, so, dualism is the division of something conceptually into two opposed or contrasted aspects or the state of being divided. Uh, dualism is actually very complex, you know, in philosophy and dualism is present in almost all religions all around the world, folk religions, world religions. So, we, we're not going to get into all of those uh, philosophical discussions about that but let's focus on dualism in Christianity. So usually we talk about the distinction between God and the creation. So God as the creator and also the world, the material world, the visible world as uh, the creation. So we actually have a problem, right? Right now, we're all breathing air. We cannot see air, right? But then, if Latia or, um, or Nick or Hannah or uh, someone in the back, I cannot read your tag. <laughs> Maybe I need better glasses. Uh, but then when you move, when you walk in the room, other people can actually feel the air move. So even though the air is not visible, but by the movement, we can actually feel the air. So the problem we have is actually the invisible God and the visible world, right? So we have, we may not be able to see God with our, uh, our naked eyes, but we can actually feel and sense. So the common form for dualism uh, is called mind and body. So there is a long history about this type of dualism in Christianity. I'm primarily a historian, so I cannot talk about anything without thinking about the history of it. So just bear with me in the next slide. Uh, we're going to get through this. Um, so there's also another form called absolute dualism. It's good and evil. So that means because we cannot reconcile why evil exists, why there is such a problem with evil and suffering. So, some philosophical explanations would say, well, there are two different gods. One is the god of good, 
one is the God of evil. And because the all-loving, all-kind, all-compassionate God cannot allow evil things to happen, therefore, the material world is actually created by the evil. So I'm not saying I agree with that, um, but that's a sense that some philosophical explanations had been given. Um, and that has been popular actually since the early church. Uh, the second century and also later the 17th century. The picture I'm showing you here is from the 17th century by René Degas, the French philosopher. So he's the one who said, I think, therefore I am. So he's the one who made it really popular for us, uh, for at least Christians to have that, you know, Neoplatonism kind of thinking, well, the material, maybe not all that important, but of course it's another thing that later with industrialization, we actually become very hyper-consumeristic and we end up piling lots of things in our garage, attic, and lots of different things because we have not had a very healthy relationship with material. Uh, so the heart of dualism, the issue is there is a problem of evil and there is a problem of suffering. And we have a hard time to explain what had happened. Okay, so here's the history part. History of dualism and Gnostic movements. Uh, why do I have to uh, talk about this? Because uh, Gnostic movement has been kind of resurging uh, in different places and also uh, even among Christians as well, there is that sense, you know, we're actually trying to connect with the transcendent. We're trying to find a connecting point to reconcile that body, uh, that d division of the body and also the soul. Uh, so there's a Greek word, gnosis, it means knowledge or awareness. The early church apologists actually identified Gnosticism as this heretical teaching. So in the second century, Justin Martyr had written in the first apology, so this is about mid-second century, condemned the teaching of Martian. Uh, so the problem is Martian had said, okay, uh, the God in the Old Testament is, you know, not good, too angry, not loving at all. But the God presented in Jesus in the New Testament seems to be so good because Jesus healed so many people and there seems to be this loving side of God. So that's what Martian said in the second century. So lots of the early church theologians actually condemned that uh, teaching saying that's called the supersessionism, meaning, uh, you know, uh, you are trying to say that the Old Testament God is not the same God as the New Testament. Uh, so there, uh, there's also some anti-Semitism uh, in the statement as well. Uh, so the only problem is we actually don't know any primary sources of these uh, these uh, so-called heretical uh, people, their writings, because they were all 
burned, destroyed, most of them were. Uh, so lots of things we learned were actually from people who were enemies of them or who were the early church theologians. They were, you know, uh, the guardians of the faith, right? Um, so later on, this type of thinking also resurfaced in the 12th century France and then later on 14th century, the Italian Renaissance. And of course, maybe none of these interest you that much, but I just want to say, you know, the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century Bohemian culture, and also mid 20th century New Age movement as well. So even though maybe all of us are familiar with the New Age movement, um, but even though the New Age movement actually claims the ancient root in that kind of dualistic thinking, uh, in Gnosticism in the second century, but they were actually a little bit different. So what is the essential thing? Maybe you want me to tell, to say, what's the gist of it you're trying to say? Well, what I'm trying to say is they said that the body is evil. So the body is like a tomb. It entraps your mind. So only when you die, your spirit will be free. So in that sense, the material is evil, but anything spiritual is good. So um, that's actually the gist of it. So let's move on to the common theme. Latia, you mentioned my cat. This is a picture of my cat. I don't know if you can see. Um, <laughs> um, so, why am I showing a picture of that? So among all of these ancient Gnostic and also modern New Age movement, there is that essential subjective individual experience wanting to meet a transcendent and transpersonal reality that is the source of all existence. So I used my cat as an example. You know, it's the, it's the person um, wanting to meet the, the high, the transcendent God. So for him, jumping that high, uh, it amazes me a lot. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he tries all the time. Uh, so there are two different intellectuals arguments in the, you know, in the 20th century, late 20th century. So I'm bringing them up. One is a French feminist, um, Semyon de Beauvoir. Uh, she actually converted from Catholicism to atheism because uh, she said, she analyzed her change of faith. She said, faith allows an evasion of those difficulties which the atheist confronts honestly. And to crown all, the believer derives a sense of great superiority from this very cowardice itself. So I was thinking about her statement. I thought, you know, lots of us, I, I don't know everyone in this room, but it's possible that we all have struggled with different questions related to faith, related to life, related to evil, related to suffering. There are lots of questions we have, but sometimes when we share those questions with other people, uh, especially uh, in the Christian circle, usually we've been told 
just to have faith. Just to have faith. You will be okay. Jesus will take care of it. God is in control. By the way, that's probably my most hated phrase ever. (sighs) So now I said it. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Um, So another atheist, this is his statement, Ed Buckner. He said, the declared connection between the alleged divine and the actual universe simply do not match. The inadequacies of theodicies, elaborate philosophical justifications that purports to explain away, explain away the problem of suffering or evil in a universe designed and controlled by an all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful being are a big part of the problem. So this was his struggle. There had been lots of people like, like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with these names. And they are the ones who have, uh, for example, Richard Dawkins was actually raised in a Christian family and later, of course, became this really very famous figure of atheism. Um, so that's what, that's what people are saying. That's what Ed Barkner is saying. That's what uh, Richard Dawkins is saying. It doesn't match up. You cannot explain away the problem of evil and suffering. Uh, I have lots of atheist friends, and my friends cannot, actually, I cannot explain away, even though I was trained in theology, in history. Uh, You think after two masters and a PhD, perhaps, you know, there will be some clear answers, but sometimes there are not clear answers. There are more questions. But I think the issue is we need to be in a space and to create space to allow questions and even doubts Um, we have and actually wrestle with those questions and really take them into account and listen to one another and try to really pay attention to one another's suffering. Um, So these are my working heretical thoughts. Uh, (laughs) So first one, simplistic answers only gloss over deep struggles and lead to misunderstandings and estrangement with the Christian faith. Um, My father and I, we have a long-term friend who actually passed away about two years ago. Uh, He's British, had uh, have been uh, living in Hong Kong for 37 years. He graduated with N.T. Wright um, and raised in a Christian home, but really later on i mean he's he was such a smart guy he was a scientist he was the ceo of a company he was amazing he mailed his house key to australia to me so when i went to hong kong to visit i could have uh, his apartment when he and his wife were away i don't know who would do that (laughs) and it was amazing and he uh, you know, he was not a Christian. He actually sponsored so many different trips to go to Israel, to Jerusalem, to prove that Jesus did not, uh, did not raise 
from from death. And so I think he made 72 trips or something like that. And it was just so interesting. So my my dad and I have been talking with him. Uh, with uh, so he told us he said, you know, nobody, no Christians talk to me in Hong Kong. No one wants to talk to him because he had been sponsoring those trips. But he was wrestling with the question of faith. Uh, so my father and I never give him up. Uh, whenever we went to Hong Kong, we would always visit him. And he was very hospitable as well. I don't know what happened in the end, but we never gave him up. He never gave us up because we were Christians. Uh, but we did not try to provide a solution. We, we did not try to fix him. <laughs> um, so that was my working heretical thoughts one. Uh, two, faith is actually an invitation. And the theology of God, this is my most heretical thinking right now. It's in my working paper uh, I'm, I'm working on right now. It's God as our co-sufferer. Um, I've been wrestling with the question of evil and suffering for a long time. So I'm thinking more and more about God as our co-sufferer. Um, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. Um, and then the third one is creation is actually our first book. So when all of us were born, we did not see the Bible immediately. <laughs> we were born into a tangible world where we can touch, we could possibly feel, hear, and, and also we were thirsty, we were hungry, we needed love. We needed lots of tangible, material, bodily things to actually become the person we later are. Um, so creation is actually our first book and our first icon. So for me, there are three most important things. Uh, I have to tell you, I was a very much black and white person, dualistic thinking. You know, this is right, this is wrong, this is black and white, there is no gray area. Uh, I, I've been really changed in so many different ways. Uh, I was raised in a city <laughs> with lots of concrete jungles and, uh, and people. And I often thought of myself as a city mouse. So I think Latia can relate to me. <laughs> um, and then, of course, my parents are from Kentucky. So I also spent lots of time in the mountains, hiking with my parents and also just enjoying the trees. And that was hard because anytime I saw dirt, I just, you know, kind of like, oh, is this safe? Um, but, but I'm long past that, long past that. Um, so as I'm thinking about Exhibit A, so I have three exhibits. Exhibit A, the sacred earth one, plants, 
Plants and fruits sustain our physical body. We interact with plants to actually sustain our world. Uh, I'll tell you why I said that. Uh, sometimes people have this idea that perhaps we are too strange to this world. If we left those plants alone, maybe they will be okay. Uh, but actually, in the Native American communities, uh, you know, the sweet grass, that plant, you cannot leave it alone. If you left it alone, it might actually die. So when the sweet grass, the plants start to grow, you actually need to go and gather some of them. Not all. So people always say, don't become too greedy. Just take what you need. And then it will actually grow more. So the sweet grass actually needed the human interaction, not from the intention of greed, but from the sense of, wow, thank you so much for sustaining my physical body. So we actually, you know, we're not so strange. We're made of materials. We are part of this world. Uh, there's one scripture which actually surprises me so much. is the trees in the field shall clap their hands. Would you like to clap hands with me? <laughs> so there are, there's actually trees and, and, you know, all these plants. And they are part of God's beautiful creation. They respond to God. Uh, so I'm thinking about even stones will, you know, if you don't praise me, uh, the stones will actually raise and, and sing praises. I mean, there's all of these statements in the Bible. If uh, we were to actually, you know, our eyes were being able to be opened, then perhaps we can see, wow, I'm part of that praise team. And <laughs> I'm part of that clapping hands. I'm part of that singing you know, along with the great orchestra of nature and creation. Of course, I'm not trying to deny that there is suffering and evil in, you know, in creation as well. Uh, but let's actually look at the beauty in the goodness, in the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, which is already here. So we can kind of like peel off some layers and being able to to have some glimpse of God's beauty which will be so much better and glorified later but the trees of the field shall clap their hands okay so this is a picture of my cat um, so this is my personal story I should I should share I was not a cat person and I was always a dog person. I loved dogs. And um, so I moved here about two years ago, right? I quickly discovered that Casey Mo is definitely a dog city. Um, so why did I adopt a cat? Uh, so the little cat, his name is Adrian W. Patrick. Yes, he has a human name. Uh, he was actually the runt of the litter and uh, it was, uh, well, he was only seven weeks old, and there's this family in my area in Kentucky, and, you know, they got 
bunch of cats and dogs. So they couldn't wait to give away all their, uh, their little ones. And I felt so tender toward him because he was only seven weeks old. And I said, can I just wait for a couple of weeks? And they really wanted to get rid of all of you know, the, the creatures in their house. So I got him. And I have to tell you, it just really moved me. So this is the second thing in my life which had peeled off my layers of the division of the body and the soul. I had never been that connected with a cat. <laughs> so I probably have said this enough. I love the dogs, and I still do. Um, so he was so little. I was so worried about him, and I thought he was not going to be able to jump on the bed. You know, what's going to happen? And maybe I should try to hold him, you know, and see what happens. And it was as if he had springs on his, on his paws and bing, I mean, he was on the bed and he climbed to my heart and he just laid there and napped. I could not stop crying. I couldn't sleep that night. And that was so moving and so touching because he wanted to hear my heartbeat. And that was the first time I felt that connected with a beautiful, sacred cat. Um, one reason why I actually adopted a cat was because at that time I was working with uh, some Muslim women and they would never have visited my home if I actually had a dog in my house. So I decided to take on the adventure um, so my agent had taught me the mysteries of life. And someone asked me, what's the use of a cat? I said, that's the wrong question. <laughs> because our mind had been so tainted with the idea of utilitarianism. Something has to have some use. So you have to have some use. Our clothes have to have some, some use. You know, some usages are good, but if all our perspectives are being shaped and morphed into that way, that is actually really damaging to our soul because then we cannot simply say, it's just the beauty of God, it's just the mystery that I don't understand, but I'm so open. I wanted to, to learn. I wanted to step into that infinite beauty, infinite love that only the great mystery can provide. Um, so, so far you have learned two things about my heretical teaching. Um, so the third one is actually friendship. And I often thought about people as icons. And people's lives can be so incredibly beautiful and attractive in the sense that I want my life to be like that. And I often would say, when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> um, so here I actually have a picture of my godson, Jacob, when he was a little baby, uh, and then my cat. And he was teaching the cat 
how to read. Of course, he was actually reading. I don't know if you can see. He was actually reading a little book which had puppies. <laughs> I'm not sure the cat liked it. Um, but that kind of friendship is just so heartwarming. Um, so here comes, you know, what opened my eyes about friendship. So I was in western part of China. And one, just one afternoon, it was beautiful, it was sunny. And I just had this idea. I thought, oh, why don't I contact some of my students um, and see you know, if they wanted to go to, there's something called the Big Goose uh, Square or Plaza. Uh, so we went there. And then uh, one, one of my students is actually a medical doctor. And then she said, why don't we go to the children's hospital where I work? And we can go and visit the children there. You know, they have leukemia. So would you like to, to go and actually visit them? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, why not? So we went there. We were talking with some of the parents. And then when we were talking, there was this little boy. And he said, oh, why don't you talk to me about this God you're talking about to my mom? I want to hear about it. So I was really surprised by him. And he was about 11 years old at that time. And I thought, OK, I, I will focus on you, and we'll talk about it. And, and then we had the most wonderful and profound conversation. And I thought, wow, little children often taught me so many different things. But remember that he had leukemia. So he wasn't feeling very well. So we visited for a while. And then my student and I went back home. And then we promised them we would actually come back and I would bring some chicken soup. At that time, I was a good cook, not anymore. Uh, so I came back and then brought the chicken soup and he enjoyed it. It was wonderful. And then um, a, month, a month later, the dad actually called us and said, uh, could, you, could you come to our home and we want to talk to you. And, but he wouldn't say why. And I really, you know, we, don't, we didn't know them, but we felt like we needed to go and actually visit. So we took the taxi. It took an hour to get from one end of the city to the other. And we got there. And so it turned out that the little boy, the 11-year-old, had actually passed away. But what was really, really amazing to us was what the parents told us. They said before he passed away, the night before, and the mom actually heard some noise from his room. So she went over to, to check on him to see if he was comfortable. And then he said, oh, mom, I'm just talking to Jesus. And, you know, he's coming, he's coming. I, I need to go. He's telling me Bible stories. So I just want to say he was a little boy who actually had never heard of Jesus except to that one conversation we had. And it was so amazing that had happened. And then the next morning, he, he told his parents, he said, 
I'm feeling sleepy. I think I'm gonna go and take a, take a little rest. I'll talk to you later. And it was so peaceful. And that's actually how he passed away. And then his grandmother was a Buddhist. And so the grandmother actually interpreted the dream and said, oh, that's a Christian dream. Uh, that was about Christianity. And that was so amazing to me. And this is one of those experiences and encounters I've had, which really peeled off my understanding of how God actually interacts with the world. And sometimes, lots of times, really beyond our imagination. Uh, so I was thinking about why God is our co-sufferer. So uh, here comes my statement. When a person or community suffers from unjust treatment, God the Creator is not just a compassionate deity who watches and offers empathy and wise counsel. God actually mysteriously enters into our body, enters our suffering bodies, and allows the God self to be violated of all kinds of crimes and painful experiences. So when Christ had suffered on the cross, that was a visible demonstration of God's faithful love for all the beloved world that God had created. So when a child is being abused, God is being abused. When an entire community, like what we're experiencing now, um, I say black lives matter. We have lots, lots of suffering in many different parts of the world. Uh, lots of times there are things which are visible, so we see them, but I often say hidden sufferings are actually worse. They are equally as powerful as those airplanes which actually shoot down, uh, all, destroy all these buildings and, and also civilians and innocent people. So when an entire community is being discriminated against, God is being discriminated against. And when an animal suffers, when a mountain is being mind-stripped, God suffers the pain the creation feels. The crucifixion of Jesus, uh, for me, is more than a historical event. Um, it shows that God is willing to cross the boundaries of that division, the body and the soul, the divine and the, uh, the anthropos. So God is not the holy other, but God is among us and feels our joy and our hope and our love and also our suffering. So another significant co-suffering aspect of God and is uh, Jesus died as a criminal of the Roman law. So he was punished with the most awful death. And God actually allowed, so not only God's image, reputation, but also the essence of God to be um, 
to be rejected, to be tarnished, and to suffer from that unjust treatment as well. So part of the devastation probably is being labeled as further perpetuated ill treatment. So Jesus doesn't simply take away the guilt and the shame and the despair, but God actually takes it on and suffers with us. And also, this is my last point. Um, I'm thinking the problem of evil and suffering are not the end of the world because God has created a pathway for the sacred lives, the animals, the plants, the whole entire creation to find a second life. God had, has, and will create many pathways for individuals, for the entire creation to be united with God, to be healed and to be restored and to be even glorified. So our humanities and also the capacities of the new heaven and new earth will also be maximized. Um, so thank you so much for listening to all my heretical thinking. But I also, uh, if we still have a little time, I would love to hear what for you has been your exhibit A or B? What has, um, has been maybe your Adrian or your plant? Um, what has been that, that new connection for you? Thank you so much. give you a hug thank you so much for sharing surrounded by bridges, I just felt like this expanse, that the world is bigger than I can see, that God and the divine are bigger than I can see and think. Mm -hmm. There's only been a couple times in my life where I've, I've experienced this, but um, I spent a month in India and uh, while, while I was there, uh, honestly, just out of like sheer boredom and because I didn't want to be in an awkward situation, like I would spend, like I was hanging out in an orphanage where uh, there was just like school happening most of the morning. And so instead of being in the classroom, because I had some traumatic events <laughs> in the classroom, I was like, I don't know what, I'm just going to stay in my little thing. 
So I would, I would like read uh, some of the books that I brought, and I just found myself praying. And honestly, it's because I just had, I had nothing else to do. It's normally not something that I do. But I, I know that like what would happen is every day, like I would get the chance to like hang out with all the, all the kids in this spot. And uh, th- there was one time that like the kids knocked on the door, and I was like, oh okay, like God wants me to come play. And so it was almost, I mean, it's like it's everybody says this, but it just felt like a Matrix moment where it's all of a sudden like everything is sacred, absolutely everything yeah. is sacred. Um, yeah. Normally, as like if any of you are Enneagram nerds, it's like I'm a raging seven. And so, like, so my average seven loves to be the center of attention. Like we love it, and when we're not it, it like messes us up. So <laughs> this was this was something this was something where. Um, like, I was in the background. It was not about me, and I just experienced so much, so much joy just seeing everything out there. It's just like, uh, it's almost like a veil was lifted or something, and um, it, it felt like a mystical experience where that dualism just disappeared, uh, and, and I got to mm-hmm. see the, the integration of everything, and it was, it's just, it was really powerful. It sticks with me. It's like my safe place that I go mm-hmm. to those times, so um, yeah. that, that's mine. Thank you so much. Uh, I actually brought something. <laughs> so this is a, a rock. So I think if, I don't know what you would do if you actually see this rock, probably kick it or, you know, put it aside or something. But, okay, I'm going to reveal it. These other side inside when you break it it actually has all these patterns and crystals so for me i often think i want those divisions to disappear and to think everything becomes so sacred and beautiful that my perspective of looking at the world could turn from this to this um yeah well thank you so much for sharing and I really appreciate you Mm -hmm.